This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouths of South podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer, not in the palatial 6A of the fan studios, but in our respective homes. I'm Eric Quintana. He is Josh Bagriansky, Sam Franco, also in my screen. Gentlemen, how goes it? How was your Wednesday afternoon? Well, being an Atlanta sports fan, I guess it's uh, finally starting to heal up a little bit after the just nuclear weekend we had around here uh, which is kind of par for the course being an Atlanta sports fan I guess it doesn't really make it any easier but I, I felt like this time around uh you know with with the Braves and Georgia and like all these teams losing and Atlanta United losing as well it's like this time around there were a lot of like people that were like uh you know, oh, they'll be back next year and like all this stuff tweets and it's just in the immediate aftermath I, I need to throw out a plea to all of the local Atlanta, like people that cover Atlanta teams, like the, the sports people in the immediate aftermath of one of the most brutal days and weekends <laughs> in Atlanta sports history. You've got to stop that. You cannot be tweeting those things within minutes of these, like his, like these bad losses and these like historical class, let people be pissed off. Like I don't understand people's like need to have to be the person that says it's going to be okay because in that 24-hour period or whatever that you need to kind of grieve and get over it, it's not going to be okay. So, and it's kind of condescending because we know absolutely. it's going to be okay. You know, like we understand, you know. But I will say one thing. Uh, Atlanta United, not a bad loss over the weekend. I thought looked a lot especially better. The, especially the best team in, in the MLS right now. Yeah, yeah, where you, you hung with a, with a Toronto team who appears to be one of the best sides in the – kind of pointless season it's turning out in my opinion but i mean they're uh, gonna win the supporter shield right <laughs> yeah oh <right>. yeah <laughs> the supporter shield you got something on that right eric yeah so uh we'll go ahead and finish your thought because I, I could i've got a list of tweets here it's story time on the podcast okay oh wow oh good god okay so i i mean i thought it was it, when you when you the second half particularly with the with bark on moreno came on uh, you started to see some of the quick attacking, more dangerous play that you'd like from Atlanta United. You still weren't able to create much, you know, which is frustrating, and that might just be the reality of uh, 2020 until Joseph Martinez returns next year. But in the end, I mean, if you look at that game, t- Toronto, most of their shots, uh, half chances outside the box. You defended very well. You were able to hold some dangerous possession in the second half. And I know that, you know, it, it's it's depressing that we're looking at that dangerous possession as a positive now, but it is. That's where this team is. And, uh, you know, in the end, I think you can look at the remaining schedule and certainly look to this weekend against DC United and say, if we play like that, we're, we're going to get three points and maybe can uh, make a run and get in the playoffs. So, okay. Story time on the podcast. <laughs> this comes from Morgan Hughes, who is connected with MLS somehow. And look, connected because, look, I once was connected with MLS. I was writing articles for them. I was in the Slack channels. Um, and so, as small time as I am, I don't know exactly what he does for MLS, but I know he is a uh, Columbus Crew supporter. Is that a either. compliment or a or a fan that, that, that you no, were I just, just, in just, MLS? No, 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 no. Just saying, saying, just saying that – 
I don't know. It sounds like you're. It's hard to distinguish. Trashing him or complimenting him. No, no, no. It's It's a compliment. It's it's, it's it's both. It's not an insult or a compliment. I'm just saying that you know anyone can. I I don't know. You were league media at one time. That's exactly. Yeah, anyone can be league media. That I'm not. I'm not. What I was referring to was that I am not (laughs) that high on the medium total pole, and yet I was connected to MLS to some degree. Um, At least. So it is an insult. No, I'm saying that I am a small-time person, and he could also be a small-time local Columbus podcaster. We definitely need to clip Eric saying I am a small-time person. (laughs) (laughs) The the Columbus Crew Podcast Network, um, at least the SB Nation guys, they've got a great thing going on for them. Um, So, again, not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. I I don't know if he's connected specifically with them, but um, I'll have to dig more into it. But anyways – he sent out a series of tweets, kind of like in the no tweets, regarding uh, the decision to not to not award the supporter shield uh, this year. This thread is just so a it's, massive it's a, it's a, pile of stupidity, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's it's a it's a full thread, and I'm just gonna roll with it. Okay, this is again Morgan Hughes. He's more at Morgan underscore Hughes on Twitter. Good morning, friends. Here's some additional information surrounding the supporter shield debacle and how the decision was made. Spoiler: It's even dumber than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> Let's talk about the board of supporters. Again, these are just tweets upon tweets upon tweets. Let's talk about the, the board of supporters shield foundation. It's appointed by the ISC and operates independently of the ISC board and the members groups who belong to the ISC. They are required to send monthly updates to the ISC board. Uh, these monthly updates arrived as usual up until this month with no indication that there was any thought whatsoever of canceling supporter shield for the 2020 season, which will be wrapping up in a few short weeks at their October meeting. The, Supporter Shield Foundation informed the ISC board that they were canceling the Supporter Shield for the 2020 season. Immediately following this, the Supporter Shield Foundation posted a single message in a committee channel on Slack. There was no broad communication about the decision sent to the full ISC membership, no post in the general Slack channel, no email to members of any form or no, uh, of notification or communication given beyond this post in the committee channel on Slack. And given, that sing, uh, and given that single post indicated a decision had already been made, there was no opportunity to, fur- to further discussion or a vote. And as the channel was for a committee, not all members were subscribed to it. The last time the channel was even used was over the summer. The post in question did not use the at function or any other alert tags or functions to ping the entire channel either. No, no at he- channel? No at no heads up. No heads up message went out to the general channel to direct anyone to the Too committee good. channel. As a direct result, an overwhelming majority of the ISC members did not see the post on the committee channel, including many of those who were actually subscribed to the channel. Those who did not did see it were afforded no time to react as the decision was final and MLS had been informed. This post on the committee channel is what the SSF is referring to when they said that notice was given to, the, to its members. That post requested that information remain private and went on to say we came to the decision over the summer and are going public tomorrow. What this all boils down to is effectively people forgot to check the Slack. Well, but also yeah. that the MLS actively buried it because Which, they knew that Independent Supporters Council would give them give them crap for it. Well, and also, hold on. I think the biggest alert to anyone here should be that MLS gave away the rights to give this trophy away in the first place. This is like a league trophy or like a, a recognizing something that you do within MLS, and they just gave it to some – council of people that's only organization is online and via slack like this whole thing to me like it was like when i first read all this i was like wait a minute 
the supporter shield isn't like a real like trophy that MLS gives out. It's just something that the independent supporters council, which is part of the, uh, the, the, whatever the other one is called. Like this whole thing is a very confusing to me and B it's like, I get it that like, it's cool that the supporters council or whatever gets to give this thing out. And it's like sort of this, this thing that they've established, but this is exactly what happens when you do that. When you, when you give this, this kind of, you know, power or whatever to an independent supporters council. Well, it's just all very amateurish across the board. But again, right. this is a league where a, a player was inserted as a substitute into a match that was not on the match day roster. <laughs> and the referee got on a freaking cell phone and called God knows who. And they decided to eh, play the game on. So, I mean, it, it, again, the, the, the communication with these types of things. And, it shouldn't surprise uh, you. It's not, it's not super surprising. But I just, I mean. Keep, keep, I don't get it. I mean, just keep the trophy, you know, and it, you know, even though we all know this is a season that is I mean, I, yeah, I, me, I, not, not even sure. very interesting, but I don't understand why you would take away a trophy. That's really about the fans above all. Well, it's, it's taking your ball and going home. You know, the supporters are like, well, we didn't get to go but, to the game, so we're not going to give them this trophy. And it's like, dude, thing, it's not about is, you. My thing is why, like, what, what difference does it make whether it's a, a dumb season or, or the best season of all time or, or, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, the team with the most points at the end of the season gets the trophy. Like that's exactly whether it's, I mean, everyone's playing under the same rules. It might not be the, the most balanced of schedules in, in terms of because of what's going on with the pandemic. But Even I mean, though there's whatever. never balanced schedules. But, sure. Yeah. But whatever. Although this like, is more so. Who cares? Well, like, I think it, this is yeah, a, who cares? Yeah. I, get, I think it's yeah. a big it's embarrassment entire- for MLS more than anything else, because you look at like MLS has, has this, you know, what I think a lot of people were in my shoes thinking that they were the ones giving out this trophy, you know, and if, unless you have direct intimate knowledge that there is this whole other process that goes along to giving it, this is an achievement within MLS. It's the most points gathered throughout an entire season in MLS. Why would MLS, why on earth would MLS give that right or whatever of giving that trophy to someone that could do something like this, that could just take their ball and go home and say, well, we don't want to give the trophy out this year, so we're not. For me, that's just egg on MLS's face here. Well, MLS are the ones that, that pulled out, right? I mean, basically informed what, – what's the sequence of the communication No, here? no, no. MLS accepts the decision of the ISC. Right. ISC is the group that said we're gotcha, not gotcha. doing this this gotcha. year. Okay. And MLS was just like whatever. And they, MLS didn't make a big deal out of it. They didn't make any deal out of it. Like, well, they've never particularly cared according about According to the, yeah. the, the stream of tweets that Eric was reading, MLS was informed of this decision in the summer, and they just accepted it and didn't say anything to anyone about it. And now you've got Toronto, who, you know, let's just call it what it is, is going to win the Supporter Shield or is going to be in a position to have won the Supporter Shield, and they're not going to get a trophy because ISC – is upset about something whether it's the fact that there wasn't a uh, fans in the stands or whatever but the fact that they just took away something that is meaningful to the players is quite frankly selfish and one of the dumbest things i've heard in terms of like an, like just just mls and and the way that these kind of things are, are dealt with personally i don't really care too much about the supporter shield just mainly because there's a playoff component yeah. to, to mls season so i, I mean no, i agree a, it's a nice thing to have, I guess, but it just, but it's just a bizarre. I think it's more the bizarreness of the decision is the story more we'll so than the importance well, of the trophy. You're, you're, you know, cheapen the hell out of the, uh, the sports shield if you just yes. one year. I, I well, I guess we just won't give it out because I mean, well, then what's to stop you from not giving it out the next year, or what's the point in actually attaining it for the following years? Might as well just get rid of it now because it it clearly does not matter to MLS. 
to to the fans. I mean, you're not hearing a huge gripe about. I mean, you're hearing Toronto because they're they're in a position to to possibly win it, but you're not hearing a huge gripe from the players or the teams about about what's going on. At least I haven't heard anything. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, so you, you you've cheapened the whole thing. So why even give it out past this year? You make a great point right there in terms of the integrity of the competition or or, or the, the trophy or whatever. At this point, like, it's it's been so, like, bastardized because of what's happening right now that it's almost like, yeah, there, there's no point of it anymore specifically because MLS does have that playoff component, and that's how they determine the champion. And I think we were talking about this even going back into the season where Atlanta United won the MLS Cup and that season, Red Bulls won the Supporter Shield. And, you know, Red Bulls, you know, fans are getting all excited about that. And I think there was a lot of back and forth between, you know, Atlanta United fans and Red Bull fans. And ultimately, what does the Supporter Shield matter? Because how does MLS determine their champion? Through the MLS Cup playoffs. And ultimately, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the same as every other league. Like, in every other league, what the Supporter Shield is is the league championship, you know, in the Premier League and all that stuff. But in this league, how its champion is determined is through MLS Cup playoffs. So ultimately that undermined the integrity of the supporter shield. And now this has completely undermined the integrity of the supporter shield. Yeah, look, it is what it is. I I mean it it, it I feel like it undermines Atlanta or uh, MLS as a league as well in terms of the some of the decisions it makes and and I even in our Slack channel, we were just looking at it thinking like you can't be taken as a serious league when you, when this stuff happens. Um, so I don't know. It, it is what it is. I'm not really too worked up about it. I just thought it was a funny story as to how that came about. And uh, it was brought to my, to our attention and I thought I'd share. Uh, but let's talk about Lane United against Toronto FC one, nothing off of a goal off the head of uh, Pablo Piatti in the 89th minute off of what I thought was, Pretty good defensive work from Atlanta. It was a lucky United. goal, really. It's a really good header, got, but it's lucky. Just yeah, got just, a come unlucky. on, that header was nice. Don't be taken away. It, from it, it, it was a good header, yeah. It, yeah, it was. Agreed. It was. It was good in the moment. But what I mean is that that it didn't like no one was out of Nothing position. You could do. No one was. No was. No one was unmarked. It was a bad. Def- it was a unlucky deflection off yeah, of George Bello. Touch. And yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. You you you. If you're Toronto FC, you're a good team. Those are the moments you take advantage of, and those are the bounces that 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 go your way when you're playing as well as you are. Um, I think the, the 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 bigger thing that we can take away from this match is the 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 tale of two halves. Not really tale of two halves, but you had one the first half where it was it was lethargic, it was boring to watch. It was more of the, the tale same, of two really. players. And, and the only reason the only reason you stuck around for the second half is because at the very beginning of of, of Half number two, you saw that Barco and Moreno were coming in, and you want to see what that would look like, you know, for the next forty-five minutes. And uh, it looked better. You saw, uh, I think, a a version of Atlanta United that maybe you were kind of hoping to see, maybe in the first half, and maybe you were hoping to kind of expand on. Even going as far back as the DC United game, you're hoping to expand on some of the attacking threats that you kind of put together, some of the some of the you know the attack going forward. Um, and you saw maybe some possibilities that, that could arrive sooner rather than later with Moreno and Barco. Um, and so, I mean, you still didn't score. You didn't create a ton of clear-cut chances, but it did look better than the first half. And I think, I mean, what you really saw in that game is that what you get from a Barco and a Moreno, especially on the pitch together, is something that John Gallagher is not capable of giving you. Brooks Lennon is not capable of giving you. 
Adam John is not, you know, so you saw a fundamental change in the attack where the team did start to look more dangerous. They were able to hold possession uh, in, in the attacking half of the pitch. And you also saw when Mateo Soseto came on, he looked a much better player. Uh, to some extent, Dom came alive there. You, uh, you get the big chance for Kubo Torres, uh, where, where uh, Brooks Lennon is now afforded more space on the right side because they have to key in on, on uh, Moreno and Barco. So you saw that. I mean, and, and there's a long way to go because in the end, you didn't, you didn't create enough. You know, so in that sense, it was more of the same. But if you look at the pass chart from the game, you can really just see the difference that was made when those two came on and how it really brought out the players around them. And, and you'll see that almost all of the passes – that are completed or attempted around the Toronto goal come from those two um, or Hoseto in the second half. So I thought that you start to see that fundamentally more dangerous looking attack for Atlanta United, even if you weren't able to really create chances in the end. And based on where you've been as a side, that is a step in the right direction. I thought one of the things that I, that I took away from this match is that ultimately I don't think Atlanta United is very far off from its starting 11, from being a, a kind of back to being the force that well, it was. Well, you just plug Joseph into that, that sure. exact yeah, attack a, you saw in the second half. It's pretty yep. dangerous. And I think if you add a couple more pieces, I, I, where exactly, I don't know. It, it just depends on on the flexibility and, say, the salary cap and, and, and financials that go into it. But let's say you do, you do sell off Barco in, in, in December, let's just say, um, and you find a way to replace him with someone that's maybe more consistent, maybe a little bit better, maybe less injury prone, um, who can provide you that kind of dy- dynamic approach to the, to, to the attack. Um, again, you throw in Joseph Martinez, maybe not to say that, that Brooks Lennon, it's a bad player, but maybe, maybe Jurgen Dam is, is a, is a more of a fixture that can provide on that right wing. Um, Gallagher is, is, is as consistent as he's been on that left wing. All of a sudden you've got the pieces in place where you can have a very dynamic attack and, t- and a little bit of depth as well. Sure. In 2021. Yeah. Um, I might even say they're a little I, I, more I, dangerous I, outside too, with some of the like Dam and uh, and Gallagher. Like we've seen what those guys were able to do without Barco Moreno and some of these guys in the lineup, and they had their flashes. So now that you know what those guys can do going forward, add Joseph in, add Barco, add Moreno into the equation, and I think you feel more confident just in general with your with your front and with your attack. I think it's I think it's obvious that what 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 twenty twenty one looks like for Atlanta United and it sucks that we're already looking past twenty twenty because even if they do make the playoffs it'll be by the skin of their teeth and and honestly who cares because they're not going to go very far in this in this uh, in two thousand twenty the only thing I mean I, I would love for them to play to make the playoffs just so that we can say that we've been in the playoffs every year we've been uh, in existence but I even that I don't care too much about. Um, but what you're starting to see in for 2021 is that Moreno could be a guy, like a main fixture, a, a star for Atlanta United in 2021. You bring back Joseph Martinez, you know what he is. Um, and even if it is Barco, he's still an above average piece to this overall puzzle. Um, and then you've got the supporting cast and, and Gallagher and, and whoever ends up being on the right, you know, full time, I guess. Um, Again, you you you're optimistic about what you what you're looking at for 2021. You're optimistic about about um, you know kind of revitalizing what you had in 2018, 2017, and kind of bringing that back. You bring in a coach that maybe understands these players better than than Frank DeBoer did, better than Stephen Glass does. Um, that can kind of organize them in a way that 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 he he's getting the best out of these players at their given positions. Then you know you've got very high hopes. I, I think what ultimately it's going to come down to is this is his coaching decision. Whoever they end up bringing in, whoever they hire, 
um, is got to be someone that that brings out the best in these players. And that's, I mean, that seems pretty obvious, but obviously Frank DeBoer couldn't do that. Um, Steven Glass is kind of just throwing things on the wall and, and <laughs> figuring out that some things are sticking. Uh, but it's not that's that would be my goal is to find someone that has a a a history of bringing out the best in the players not so much tactical genius or anything like that but bringing out the best in, in his players oh no the, the, the I, know, I know where we're going i know where we're going here a guy that brings out the best in his players that isn't a great tactical manager no, no, look you're a professional coach in in a in a in an mls you've got a, you've got enough tactical knowledge tactical know-how or at least you should to to you know get by with what you know. But thank God you just said that by the way because like, you disqualified Jurgen Klinsmann by sure by yeah exactly. So that's where I was going, and I thank you for saying some tactical knowledge because by saying that you have right, I'm not that, saying I'm not saying you disqualified him from the job. So I thank think, you. Very I, much. And I think the question is is more than tactics. Uh, I think it's more about philosophy. You know, because that was the big difference between Tata Martino and Frank De Boer was not so much the shape they play. They both wanted to play on the front foot. Um, and then the shape they, the shapes they played were not too dissimilar. Uh, but it was more that Tata Martino was, was more of an aggressive manager as mm-hmm. Frank DeBoer, I thought had a quote about him when they faced off recently in that Netherlands, Mexico match, which I think maybe he thought was kind of an insult of Tata Martino and really shows really what a terrible fit Frank DeBoer was. But he said, he's, he's a manager that likes to have a lot of one V ones in this game, you know, and, and that's kind of what Atlanta United was, was good at and had a lot of success with. And with these types of players that uh, are technical and like to run at defenders, uh, that philosophy is a little bit of better fit than what Frank DeBoer wanted, where he said he wanted to quote unquote dominate matches. And what he really meant was we're going to hold the ball and just suffocate you. And, and if that works that, you know, it's almost unbeatable, you know, but it's hard to make that happen. So, so, and philosophically, I think that's different than what the personnel in Atlanta United wants. So that's the big question is, are you going to, obviously you're going to bring an attacking minded manager, but is it going to be a guy who wants to dominate through his style of play and attack or a guy who's giving the players the keys a little bit more like Tata Martino was encouraging one V ones, vertical play, things like that. So that's the big question in your managerial hire. I feel like Tata Martino, too, one thing that, that he was really good at was not being married 100% of the time to one formation or one style of play. I think, you know, he was very good at reading the match and being able to let that dictate the philosophy yeah, for that specific too. match. Yeah. Yeah, and I, think, he- I don't think you ever got that from Frank DeBoer. He was so stubborn, not want, like you just said, that dominating the match kind of thing, suffocating the match. The problem with that is, that it's very hard to do that in a league like MLS where across your roster, you're not going to have players that are, you know, a hundred percent strong yeah. in everything that they that, do. That's kind a of very have good to point. have that in order to do that kind of style. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, you know, cause Tata Martino in the end, what he also showed was that he's more adaptable, you know, yes. and that, you know, even though people like Eric were saying he couldn't adapt his tactics early on, you know, he went from the manager. Just kidding, Eric. I said that. He, he, <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. I did. Yes, Tata Martino. Yes, but you said everything at some point about him, including that he's going to stay. So, he's coming you know, back. Ninety-nine percent. I did say that. No, but 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 if you t- the way Tata Martino started, there were some matches that were a little bit similar to what you saw under early Frank DeBoer, where you had a ton of possession, and he was just saying, you know, we're going to imprint our style of play on this, 
And then he finishes his time in Atlanta United playing, you know, a 3-5-2 where Counter you're basically attack, just run, looking run, to run. counter yeah. and still winning the possession battle, but, you know, playing just really 1v1 because that's what the personnel asked for. Whereas Frank DeBoer and Atlanta United decide, let's overhaul this and try to play uh, the way Frank DeBoer wants and, of course, completely botched that entire let's operation. Something that was and that's why, that's why we're talking about this instead of the games right now because this is much more interesting. I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think when I actually said something like that. Oh, come he's not on. adaptable. Yeah, you said he won't change it. You're always like, he won't change it. He's got to change it. What specifically do they have to change, though? I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm not saying I you're wrong. It, it, I, I just it, don't remember. It was. Just, it was. Because it was, you know. I remember in the playoffs, he changed up. He. I mean, he. he it was 2017. He drastically changed yeah. the tactics. I remember my my doped Jesse Marsh. My 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 big thing was I, I think that I, I there were moments where I just Chris wanted Arms. him to make Chris Arms, maybe, yes, maybe this is what you're talking about. I maybe I feel like there were moments where especially with like the Red Bulls where I'm like, okay, well don't let them concede possession and, and drop back and, and 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 bunker to an extent and then attack on the counter as opposed to trying to just run and gun against a team like the Red Bulls, who, who again, you know, you still haven't beaten the regular season. And, so and maybe, that, point, maybe that was Eric, it. They were set up to do that in the playoffs, but then the Red Bulls didn't. Chris Armas yeah. blew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Red Bulls didn't press. But yeah. they, were, they were set up in that match absolutely to do that when you saw they were hitting all those long diagonal balls, you know, when Franco Escobar ended Connor Lade's career and all that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so, they, so he had definitely set the team up to combat the press, but it ended up that they didn't have to worry about it because Chris Armas blew it. Uh, but it's even so, in that situation, he did eventually adapt. It's just, it's just, it's tough because I, we got to think that Barco's probably leaving in December. And you look at this team with, with Joseph and Moreno, and you wonder if that is enough by itself. Uh, no, you you know got to have three. Well, you know they'll spend the money on the third one, but. And then the other thing is you might get to, there, can you buy down Moreno as well? Because, I mean, sure, obviously okay. that just speculation. Yeah, we've talked about that here too. Yeah, if you buy yeah, him down, then you've got two down, spots. Oof. That could be a really good team. Maybe bring in a like a Jonathan Gonzalez type to play the six, who is still one that I'm saying go get him. You know, I think he fits your center midfield perfectly, and he'll be available. And then maybe you go get another dynamic attacking player. But and or don't buy him down. Saying, just do what the LA Galaxy did and play four. So, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, just so play he, four. He, yeah. But time out. Here's here's the reason why I say is that enough? Uh, because if we're talking about December transfers, we're talking about it bringing in a player that that um, might take a second to get acclimated to this team. So sure. can Moreno and Joseph, are those two players with the surrounding cast you have now, assuming that they're all back next year. You think um, they hold it down in the are early those, part No, 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 not, not, that, not that they wouldn't spend that money on someone right away, but uh, assuming that maybe that player, like a Barco, like a Pity, just it takes them a while to get acclimated to, to playing with Atlanta United, to playing with, the, with, 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 with sure. this new crew. You know, it, it is Moreno and, and Joseph and the surrounding cast we have now and sure, maybe in addition of a DP that hasn't fully gotten it together with Atlanta United yet, is that enough uh, to to be to turn around in 2021? I, I think it is, uh, but again, I guess time will tell. And I think in the short, then if you circle back to the short term, certainly Moreno is going through that adaptation period right now. Sure. So the way that he plays is obviously going to have a lot of uh, impact on the rest of your season in terms of making the postseason, but also. If, if, if he does make that adaptation, then he can hit the ground running next season while you hopefully integrate other strong players into your attack. But I do think, you know, circling back to the immediate future, then uh, the question is more uh, now that with Moreno and Abarco in the lineup, and obviously all those things that you can't do until 2021, is it enough to make the playoffs? 
And I, I think it's possible, especially with DC United coming up. And, uh, you know, the Toronto match, the second half, like I said, you were able to see that philosophy of Tata Martino a little bit more, where you just saw the team going, looking more dangerous, probing the final third. Because uh, let's be real, these players are doing whatever they want on the pitch. I don't think Stephen Glass is uh, going to say, hold on, guys, possess. And I think he's, he's done it to his credit. That's what he should do, right? Because he's the interim manager. So you kind of give the players the keys. But, I mean, it is possible that in terms of finishing in the top 10 in the Eastern Conference, you saw enough of a turning point in that second half to say maybe this team can, you know, grind out, the, get some goals going the other way. And we already know they defend quite well. Uh, so I think there's a chance that you can get a result over the, this la- some results over this last stretch based on what we already know on the defense and, and kind of some inklings of what you saw in that attack in the second half against Toronto. You can't give last... too much credit, though, for, like, making the playoffs this year because it looks like, you know, oh, no. uh, yeah, Nashville's yeah. going to last... make the playoffs yeah. this year. So, Just you trying know. to manufacture content here, Frank. <laughs> uh, well, no, the but, I, say, but I agree. But, look, if you look at – I will say one thing that Josh was just saying there, and I'll take it, like – and it's not super explainable just based on, like, the – that these players should be playing up to this way anyway. But the introduction of Moreno and Barco, I think, did one thing. It made the defense look better. It made everybody look more confident because you have those players that, you know, you're paying a lot of money to come in and be really good players on your team. You have these guys, you know, coming into the lineup, and it just makes everybody seem like they're a little more confident on the ball, a little more confident in what they're doing in their actions. And I think when you talk about making the playoffs this year, that can go a long way. If those guys are playing and they're playing in the long term, not only do they make the team better, but they make everybody around them a little more like, you know, gung ho or whatever. The fact right. it's like they should be playing this way without those guys because it's their opportunity to show out. But these guys get introduced in the lineup, and I think it's like, well, we have these guys now. So we feel a little stronger. And, yeah. and, and that was what I think you saw a lot of in the second yeah. half was players were more confident. I mean, I think they're in a lot of ways proving what we've been saying right over the last, you know, couple months, honestly, which is like, look, you need the personnel to do the things that a lot of people are asking for. And it's not the team wasn't trying to do it. And it's not even that Gallagher and Lennon and John, those guys did pretty well, you know, but it's just, you can only get so much out of players like that. And now you're adding more technical, unpredictable players. And certainly one of the players that they brought out that's going to be a question of the long-term solutions that we were talking about earlier is Mateus Soseto. And I thought you saw a very strong performance from him coming on a couple of really good, like, like playmaking type vertical passes that set up guys to set up another for a chance. The passes that you've been asking of him to make recently. And, and, and really he, for whatever reason, he hasn't had the confidence to do it. He hasn't had the personnel in front of him really to play that ball, but he was certainly one of those players that you saw start to come out of his shell. So that's another guy you know, that can he get acclimated and totally adapted by the end of this stretch? If he does, you probably make the playoffs. Same, the same question as Moreno. And then, of course, long-term, he, he's a good piece going into 2021 if he can make that happen. And in a lot of ways, this is kind of a sink or swim period, maybe for his career in Atlanta. We'll see, because he's a crucial piece if he's playing to, uh, to his potential. Uh, right now, when you added an 11th place uh, right be in uh, the Eastern Conference – Right behind, oh my gosh, I had it up 10 Jesus. seconds ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, right it right behind Chicago Fire. Oh, <laughs> right gosh. Behind Chicago Fire. 19 points for Atlanta United, 20 points for Chicago Fire. Right, oh, underneath, inter, uh, right underneath Atlanta United, Inter Miami with 18 points. Um, and FC Cincinnati, believe it or not, still has a chance. I think DC United probably has a chance, but it's probably yeah. going to be out. Well, uh, get them this weekend, which is nice. 
Four matches left, one against D.C. United again on Saturday, 4 p.m. You got one against Orlando next Wednesday. Then you've got Cincinnati the Sunday following, and then Columbus is how you wrap up the season. Quick question for you guys. Yeah. Quickly about D.C. United, because I do think you have a philosophical question here going in. Obviously, you played that better-looking football uh, against Toronto in the second half, but you exposed D.C. United because they're so bad. <laughs> just playing that kind of direct cross, get the crosses into the box type of simple stuff. So tap, like, like what, what would you do if you're Steven Glass? Even if Moreno and, and Barco in the lineup, are you saying get the ball out wide and, and get crosses in there and play a little more route one? Or are you going to try to beat them with the intricate play uh, that you saw against Toronto? Because you already know intricate. you can beat them with the <clears throat> okay yeah, with the more intricate. Well, I'm going yeah, intricate. I hope, I hope because, the reason I would say that is because, yes, you beat a bad team – doing kind of bad team tactics if you know what i mean you're just lobbing balls sure. in and hoping yeah. for so you have you have the players that you can do it the other way and that's going to help you more going forward in terms of getting players acclimated to each other then that's more important and ultimately maybe if you're in the second half and you're still nil nil you can switch that and be like okay just start bombing balls into the box because these guys can't defend that but i think at first at least you, you try to to do it the you know quote unquote right way if that makes sense mm -hmm. all right my hope is that is that uh moreno assuming he starts um moreno finds a way to again it's not going to be as quick or, or as as maybe dynamic as as miguel Almiron, but I, I have a feeling that he has the mindset to gather the ball in the midfield turn and immediately look wide to either gallagher to dam um potentially over the top to whoever's up top uh, or to either wing and move the ball quickly. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the sense that he's going to be this meticulous guy that that's looking to, you know, triangle pass his way up the field or anything like that. So I, 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 my hope is that they would play in the similar style that they played last week. It just looks even better because they've got a guy like Moreno because Barco's in the picture. Uh, hopefully Kubo Torres is playing and scores one and, and, and finds, finds, you know, finds a way to score here on after. Because I, I, I feel like he just had a bad string of luck with some of his shots. He's had some bad luck. And Adam John's <laughs> been oh, – well, and obviously he's been injured as well. But Adam John's also been in decent enough form to kind of keep him out of, out of yeah. the lineup. I will say one thing about Steven Glass to kind of go off of you guys' point in terms of, you know, you want to play the way that you, you're going to try to play in 2021, right? So you can get these guys integrated uh, in, in, into the lineup. And to Stephen Glass's credit, I think for the most part he's done that. He hasn't tried to chop and change too much, uh, maybe even to the detriment of the side at, at some points. But uh, he has tried, I think, to play the on the front foot, and he and he said it, and it, it hasn't really worked. Uh, but in the end, I think that might be a good thing for certain players that are going to play a role next season to to, to kind of you know get their feet wet playing that style, particularly guys that are new to Atlanta. Uh, in, in terms of uh, Moreno, and I think Hasetto uh, to, a, to a large extent as well. I think the backup, the playing intricate thing, you know, outside of a moment of brilliance from Pablo Piatti, uh, who is starting to just more and more remind me of Sebastian Giovinco, and not just because he's Italian, but because he's diminutive and Italian, although Pablo Piatti is I actually the Argentinian, so I don't think it really matters. <laughs> no, um, but I had the same. I was like, well, that, yeah, that's give you the – They're very similar in their, in their style of play. But, uh, look, you had a good match there against Toronto, especially in the second half. Not, not so much the first half. But, you know, just take that and go forward with that because it looked good. Look, the last few matches have been really hard to watch. So, 
I'm just hoping for something that's even relatively entertaining. Well, we just spent the entire podcast <laughs> talking about 2018, 2017. I, I know, I know. I just, I'm, I'm hoping that, that the old Frank DeBoer versus Tata Martino debate. That's real original. Yeah, that's not content. tired or anything. Yeah. Look, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hoping for for something that's even close to just entertaining. Something that can just, you know, get me to sit up straight in my in my on my couch. All right, let's give a shout out to Lucid FC. A uh, podcast sponsor for Mazda South and Dirty South Soccer. Uh, distinctively modern clothing line based right here in Atlanta. It reflects a deeply British American heritage design approach uh, to clothing, promotes freedom of fashion, gender, and role. Brand's iconic logo, immediately recognizable. Uh, pants, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies. Right now, the big thing is the the, uh, the mask with their logo on it. Uh, check out their social media for to see who is wearing them and what kind of stuff they're doing because they're putting out a lot of cool, cool content. Uh, gentlemen, what does the FC and Lucid FC stand for? Aren't you supposed to? That would be, like, that would be foot, to, he messed this up last week too. That would be <laughs> footwear and clothing, Eric. What did I? Well, how am I supposed to say it? I forget now. I think we're supposed to ask you. We're supposed to ask you. Yeah. Oh. Damn. He did the same thing last week, and I actually <laughs> got it wrong because I was like, freaked out. Club fans, uh, check them out. LucidFC.us. Uh, see why all the celebrities are checking them out. And uh, again, LucidFC.us. Any final thoughts before uh, we take off? None. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter, Josh B914. At Sam J. Franco. You can follow me at Eric G. Quintana. Follow the podcast at MOTS Podcast. That does it for us. Until next time, see you later, Atlanta.